Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we look at the effects of prolonged high inflation on the UK, whether global markets are doing enough to avoid a downturn, and could artificial intelligence automation be the first step to a new industrial revolution? With Sarah Gresty, Head of Investments, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Word on the Street, where we try to work out, work out, I should say, what on earth is going on in the world economy and capital markets. Mostly successfully, I think. This week, it is Will and I trying to do this on our own. Actually, it's been, I'm touching wood here, a slightly less dramatic week, but there is still plenty to digest and absorb for the diligent investor. So, Will, what is the story? Hello, Sarah. Yes, that diligent investor is not me, but that's I'm representing the team as always, and they are diligent. They are uh, very good team, yeah. They are very diligent investors, thankfully. Yes, I have to admit that it is quite hard to tell a coherent narrative about it all at the moment. We're at another pretty jarring point, I think. In terms of positives, I would just say that looking at our current activity indicators. So these are basically summary statistics that take in all the relevant information on a region's trajectory and distill it into a line, a little bit of oversimplification, but basically the US, Europe and UK do not seem to be taking another leg lower. Um, They're all just hovering around zero. China's the one that really sticks out. It's a really sort of miraculously catastrophe-free reopening, and that's really visible in this data. If you want to continue to take the glass half full approach, you can point to further evidence of inflation falling in the US. So far, you've got a pretty, uh, you know, a pretty contained aftermath of the banking wobbles and pretty calm capital markets. So it's not, you know, nothing too catastrophic at the moment, I hope. Fingers crossed. Well, well, I love you starting with the positive. I always like to look for the positive, but I'm afraid I have to ask you now. What about the negative? Yes, I mean, much of that much also reflects kind of revised expectations, doesn't it, as well. But the negative, the UK... The inflation data did give us a bit of a pause, I think, this week. Uh, as you know, you know, the, the concern with inflation, or at least the one that we can actually do something about, and I'm talking about central banks here, uh, is that the longer it's allowed to remain, the more it leaches onto our subconscious. You and I have talked about this, you know, before, but, uh, you know, and the dirty secret of central banking is that we, you know, they don't really know much about how that process works. And worse still, you know, generally, we're not very good at measuring it. So how can we be? Most of us don't even know we have inflation expectations. Uh, And that means we can't take too much solace from those surveys suggesting that consumer inflation expectations remain well anchored. And uh, and we should start to worry a little when inflation just continues to surprise expectations positively for, you know, continually for whatever reason. It's keeping on, uh, you know, getting the commentary out, trying to, to explain it. There are always ways to explain each beat to expectations. But the suspicion is it sort of, you know, it begins to make itself at home uh, in our psyches. Uh, and that's the really dangerous bit. And it's likely to keep central bankers on the warpath, we suspect, for a little bit longer anyway, uh, almost no matter what the collateral damage they have to inflict, because they have to get control of that inflation. That's their that's their mandate. And I think that applies everywhere where inflation remains above 2% targets, to be honest. We should feel nervous that consumers and businesses are all the time adapting their expectations to higher inflation levels under the hood and kind of out of sight of the surveys. Another question, maybe if you could let me know what you and the team think. So the US and China, can they continue this impressive resilience that we've seen from them recently? 
Yeah, I mean, crystal I, ball time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, China is amazing. Like I said just now, I mean, but there is some weirdness in the data, which a few have picked up on. Some of the narratives across different bits of the economy don't seem to marry up. Uh, I would also warn that the data on the residential property space remains pretty sort of you know precarious. That's still something we shouldn't underestimate, even if the reopening does seem to have proceeded you know without major mishaps so far, which is really to be thankful for. But remember, the thing the thing here is that the Chinese authorities have been trying to deflate a property bubble. I mean, a really gigantic property bubble in controlled fashion. It's really hard to overstate how big this property bubble is and you know, and how precarious the policy tightrope walk will continue to be as a result. For those interested, just as an aside, I'm sorry, this is an aside, but for those interested in that Chinese economic history, there was a fascinating lecture I heard on the uh, LSE Public Lectures and Events podcast channel. It was by um, Professor Yasheng Huang uh, talking about his new book, The Rise and Fall of the East. It's, it, it's one view of kind of where we've been and where they've been, where China has been in the past and where it's led now and what it might mean for the future. It's a fascinating take anyway, one take uh, of where it might more go. And that, remember, is what we should really be as kind of sensible investors. That's the bit we should be keeping our eye on is not so much what's going on right now with China. And this is the same for everything. And I'm sorry to come back to this all the time, but it's what's going to happen in five, 10 years time. That's what's going to define the exit price for our investments if we're sensible about it. And there we've got to look to what can Asia bring to the global productivity story? You know, those kind of things are more positive slant in a way. Sorry, side ranks. No, interesting. But what about, just to follow up, what about the US? I know that you and the team feel that a downturn of some variety has come in. Any more kind of views on what's happening there? Yeah, so I mean, we think so, as usual, with sort of hand, you know, low confidence. But as you know, there are a few indicators that have had a reasonable hit rate at calling US recessions in the past ahead of time. The ISM manufacturing survey and the inverting yield curve, you know, when a 10 year interest rate goes a lower three month or two year or short end, uh, you know, interest rate. They're not infallible. None of these, of course. The reality is that there's just simply haven't been enough recessions whilst these indicators have been around to be able to say that much about them, to be honest, beyond that they've done all right so far. Anyway, they are both those two indicators. Sorry, long story short, those two indicators are screaming sort of recession ahead. Something like that makes sense, I think. The interest rate shock of last year will take a while to be absorbed into the system and to have its effects. There are some mitigating factors, of course. This time really is different in so many ways. We've talked about this loads of times before, but the private sector still has a bit of excess savings, sort of of some dry powder squirreled away for a a, a start. And also you're probably seeing an investment pick up in a number of areas, potentially, at least sort of one coming down the road. AI is one area that's obviously attracting a lot of interest and potentially a lot of capital down the road, but uh, also some of the effects of the latest US foray into industrial policy with those kind of chunky bits of legislation we've already talked about loads, you know, in the past and with real experts as well. I guess the problem is that it's very hard to see inflation falling to target without the economy slowing significantly. That's the overarching point. However, just with, just as with the UK, I think we would steer people away from too gloomy a position on the medium term. The arrival of the next general purpose technology we've talked about in the form of generative AI re- really could transform our productivity prospects if we get it right. And again, that's what's going to define the exit price for our investments. Well, you mentioned artificial intelligence. I also saw you mention it on LinkedIn as well. This amazing forecast with regards to the potential tasks that this batch of AI could automate. 
are you a bit worried about what might happen? Uh, yeah, you know, th th there are some pretty gruesome headlines, some of which have been already deliberately misrepresented. They basically misrepresented a piece of research of this, you know, AI implementation uh, from one of our competitors. These guys looked at tasks within jobs that could be automated by this technological breakthrough and distilled into kind of a headline suggesting that the equivalent of 300 million full-time jobs could be exposed to automation. Now, obviously, the less responsible parts of the media simply dropped the equivalent of bit of the sentence and it stirred up. But uh, you're right. I think there is scope for a bit of worry as there is with all technological breakthroughs in order to raise our productivity and therefore kind of, you know, further ratchet higher the world's living standards and all the other positives that come with it, including investment returns. This technology, it'll need to disrupt upset the apple cart and if it isn't handled correctly from an institutional perspective that creates huge societal problems you know that's why a safety net is so important at these times people always talk about you know the luddites you know machine smashing in the industrial revolution in a vain attempt to preserve the status quo they're often seen as the enemies of progress but but they were right they suffered for the rest of our game to a certain extent. They were right individually, if you think about it. Uh, and the other example in the UK during this period, and you can see how quietly I pivoted back to my favorite I subject. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, this is where, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately for you guys, I've done quite a lot of reading, but lots of good books have been written about something called the swing riots. And this is when threshing machines came in pretty much just after the Napoleonic Wars. And these machines separated grain from stalks and decimated like a huge chunk of available work for the British working population. And it came to a head in 1830. It was the summer when a mixture of kind of like much stingier support from the government following their poor law reforms, these famous poor law reforms, as well as the gathering effects of something called the Enclosure Acts, which basically booted the poor off the common land and also a lack of jobs for the returning war veterans and so on. This all combined into a fit of like public disorder, threshing machine burning, riots across the southeast of England. And basically the story is that austerity, immigration and rapid, you know, technological change that proved a very difficult mix for society to choke down for the following few decades after that. So lots of people were shipped off to Australian penal colonies as a deterrent to further public disorder. However, the suffering as technological change was allowed to reorder the economy without interference. In my opinion, it's unacceptable. You know, in hindsight, they didn't know it at the time, you know, it was very difficult to sort of judge them ex post. But for today, we should really think carefully about how we design our safety net it's very easy for me to say, isn't it? But the safety net is really important in times like this. That's what I'm trying to say. And I do think that in, it's going to be tested in the years ahead because you need to retrain and retool your workforce to be able to be available for the you know, ever-changing requirements of what work looks like. That's interesting. I love the fact you took us back to 1830. I mean, maybe the final question, Will, before we wrap up this week is kind of any thoughts for the future around what AI will and won't do? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry you walked into it. You're, you're, you're too trusting uh, or too nice. Anyway, you let me get away with it. But more broadly, though, I think the thing to, the, you know, the thing for investors really to worry about is, is really being ready to capture the upside. It's vital not to make the mistake of surgical precision here, trying to pick two or three companies that will win from this new paradigm. That's a fool's errand and the wrong way to go. Uh, you know, most technological change has really unexpected outcomes way away from the initial breakthrough breakthrough. 
And the areas that have most to gain could not be, if you think about it, the companies that are already lean and efficient, um, but those with fat and an inefficiency to trim. However, I think the point from us is that I'd also be reluctant to advocate a strategy of buying a block of bad companies in the hope that technology will just sort them out. It's more about what we do, which is about designing your net sufficiently broadly, but still selectively. And that's what the many specialists you and I are lucky enough to represent spend their waking hours, as we know, devoted to. Um, so that's pretty much the whole purpose of our multi-asset class funds and portfolios. So I, I think that's what we, you know, the mission statement is the same as always. And I'm so boring about this, but that's the whole point of investing is trying to keep your eye not down in the murky present, but, or in the murky past, to be honest, like me, but over in the future and seeing what it, what could happen in productivity terms positively as this stuff gets absorbed into the economy and how can I make the most of it? Yeah, so, well, Will, I think that feels like a lovely place to end it. Positivity and the advantages of multi-asset rather than making individual bets. But thank you for joining us and talking about talking to us today. And thank you, listeners. I look forward to joining everyone again soon for another Word on the Street. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation. 